Morning again, everyone. We all, whether we're conscious of it or not, whether we're aware of it or not, we all live and do most of what we do because of faith in someone or something. It's not always super obvious to us. We're not always fully aware of it. But every decision that we make, every action that we take, reveals something about where our faith lies. Just to to give you an example, this morning, my family and I, well, we showed some faith in in this man, um, Soji Adachi. A man who it's very hard to find a picture of, which is why there's that like awkward, you know, random picture, not even a full on of his face. But we showed some faith in this guy this morning when we headed out of our house and we got into our car and Christy put the key in the ignition and she turned it expecting that something would happen, that the engine would start. And even though she didn't realize it, she had some faith in this man because he's the guy at Toyota, we have a Toyota engine in our vehicle, who is head of the unit that designed the particular engine that's in our car. Now, never met this guy, but because of the position that he holds, the experience that we have of every other time that we've gotten in the car, well, most every other time we've gotten in the car, like battery was dead or something, and we turned the key, that it turned on, the fact that this group of people headed by this man have designed many, many, many engines for many, many years that we trust that they know what they're doing and that when I turn that key, something's going to happen. I didn't walk out of the door this morning wondering, hmm, I wonder how we're going to get to church. Because I had some measure of trust that the engine designed by the group headed by this man was going to do something. Now, even in this cynical and suspicious age that we live in, most of what we do is guided by some trust, some belief, some faith in something. As, like I said, as cynical and as suspicious as we tend to be, as much as we want such proof for everything in this modern age, we have to admit that much of what we do is done by faith. But when we talk about faith here, when we talk about faith this morning, we're not just talking about any kind of faith. We're talking about the kind of faith that as we read, the, looking at the, the script reading from, from earlier, Hebrews 11, verse 1, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And you see, this faith that is being talked about by the Hebrew writer, isn't just a generic faith. It's not just the faith like the faith that we had that our engine was going to work and actually do something this morning. But it's a more specific faith than that. The kind of faith we're talking about is trusting that God is who He says He is and that He'll do what He has said that He will do. And let me say that again. We're having faith that God is who He says He is And he's going to do what he says he's going to do. Now we can have a lot of faith in a lot of things and in a lot of people. But this kind of faith is the one that we're talking about today. You see, we can have such a divided loyalty sometimes. We can have faith in so many different things that we can forget that it's faith only in God that should be our guiding principle. I was reading... 
in, in James, I guess a couple, couple weeks ago, in, in James chapter 1, and talking about our prayers, and I hadn't planned to go there, but let me do that now. In, in James 1, let me start in, in verse 5. That if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And I can't help but think of this image, and I know I've done it before, which is why it annoys me so much when I read this passage, is that we go to God in faith, asking for something. But we kind of hedge our bets a little bit. We have faith in God that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. But just in case, we're also going to pay attention to all these other things around us that we're tempted to believe in. And our loyalties become divided. And I can't help but think that God looks at that and said, Are you really having faith in me? Or are you having some general hope in me? (laughs) Some general possible expectation, but still living your life in accordance with the faith in all the other things that are around you, in your own abilities, or in the things that you've seen. You see, we're really good at dealing with what's obvious. We're really good at just paying attention to the thing that's right in front of our faces. But we need to move beyond the obvious. You see, there are things more real than the small set of things that we see. Now, that's hard for us to comprehend sometimes. It's hard for us to live that way sometimes. We can even say it, if we have some intellectual understanding, that there are things that are real that are beyond the things that are right in front of us, that are beyond the things that we see. But still, even if we acknowledge that intellectually, it's very tempting and very natural to live according to the things that are right in front of our faces and live only according to the things that we can see in a concrete way right in front of us. And there are plenty of those things. And when I was first thinking about this lesson, there were so many different directions and and so many different examples of this. But I realized the ones that really bother me, the ones that really trouble me, are the ones that hold us back. The ones that are really dangerous are the ones that don't just distract us, but they stop us from living according to a faith in God. That they stop us from living according to what we really believe to be true about God. The big urgent thing, whatever that is, but it's so urgent that it fills our field of vision so that we don't see anything else. The pain in our lives that's hitting us, it's, it, we're hearing it so loudly that there's nothing else that we can hear. There are no other voices seem to make it into our ears. All the attention stealers, we just we're, live lives full of attention stealers. Things that want to just you know, blink and flash and make a noise and say, hey, look at me, pay attention to me, this is what's most important right now. And it can be very easy for those things that just throw themselves in front of our faces to cause us to forget the larger truths in our lives. You see, we need to train ourselves to pay attention to what is true. 
It's kind of funny. I've had so many conversations about this topic in the last few weeks. So there's probably like half a dozen of you in here that are thinking, oh, wait a minute, is he just preaching about this because we talked about this? No, I don't know if it's me thinking about this lesson that has influenced a lot of conversations that I've had, or if it's those conversations that I've had that have influenced this, how this lesson developed. But honestly, I think maybe just God was trying to tell me something because it's come up over and over and over again. So if you're wondering, he's just talking to me here. Well, no, but yes, I think mostly I'm talking to myself because I think God has led me into these conversations to make me hear over and over again words coming out of my mouth that I have a hard time living by sometimes. That we need in every situation, whatever is loudest, whatever is biggest, whatever is most distracting to us in the present moment, we've got to learn And train ourselves to live according to the bigger truth of the situation. Not just the one small sliver of it that might be in front of our eyes right now. Because see, when the world is at its loudest, it's hard to take that moment to try and find the bigger and the truer things. We've got to be prepared ahead of time. I mean, we can't say it's like, okay, well, we're in the boat here, and suddenly, oh, the ship is sinking. Now's the time we should start thinking about designing some lifeboats. That's not the moment for it. When the crisis comes, that isn't the moment to start saying, oh, maybe there's something bigger here. Maybe there's something important that we've missed, that we desperately need right now. We've got to train ourselves to see the fullness of the truth of God. The full ramifications of the gospel that allow us to live according to that truth. When the world is ready to scream at us something else to distract us along the way, we have to be so firmly rooted in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and in faith in Him that we can see beyond the biggest and the loudest. It's easy to act based on what's right in front of us. But the most immediate, the most obvious, might not be the most important. It might not be the most real. In 1 Peter 1.8, Peter says, You love him even though you have never seen him. And we get to fall into that category too. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. That's such a beautiful thought. And a beautiful sentiment there. And especially as we look at that, as Peter is writing to this original first century audience, and we think like, okay, we're really no different than they are. We have never seen Jesus in the flesh. We've never seen him face to face like Peter got to. But we love him though we've never seen him. And even though we don't see him now, we can trust him. But when we go on and we read the rest of 1 Peter, especially when you get down towards the the end of the letter, we realize this isn't just some nice flowery thought. Peter spends a good deal of time talking to them about their present and real suffering. The hardships that they have to endure But they rejoice because they have a Savior that's bigger than today. They rejoice, they have this joy because they trust in one who is bigger than their present suffering. 
it wasn't just that there was this group of people that had learned some great thing about Jesus and they had had life pretty easy and like, oh, this is, this is great. We'll believe in him, we'll love him, we'll trust him, and things are just going to be okay. Well, no, they were believing in one they had never seen. They were trusting in one who had loved them. Even though they had never seen them, and even though their present reality could have very easily shouted louder than the truth of the gospel. But they didn't let that happen. And neither can we. Because so many times, the biggest thing, the loudest thing, is not the truest thing that we need to pay attention to. When we're in a situation like they were, when we're in the midst of suffering, when we're in the midst of a broken situation, and all we see around us is this chaos and this brokenness, do we have a faith that the larger truth, the bigger situation, is ultimately under the sovereignty of God? The loudest voice in your life today might be saying things along the lines of, you can't, and that's impossible. The thing that God may be calling you to do, the the thing that you know is right and is real and is true. There might be loud voices around you today saying, no, that's not the way things really are. Things couldn't really be that way. Well, earlier this morning and every week when we come together, we celebrated a memorial to the impossible made real. If we truly believe in the resurrection of Jesus, we should be living like people for whom nothing is impossible, because we serve a God for whom all things are possible. If we come together around this table to remember that not only did Jesus die, but that death could not defeat him. But he defeated death and he rose again. If that is truly the core and the heart of our faith, then whatever loud and painful voice may be shouting at us like, no, you can't. Well, the resurrection says there's nothing that you can't do. There's nothing that cannot be accomplished in the name of God. Because for him, all things are possible. So if we're living faithfully, we've got to live each day by faith rather than by sight. We've got to have our eyes fixed on Jesus, even though our physical eyes can't see him right now. As we continue on through Hebrews 11, past the the portion that was read earlier this morning, we see example after example that says, by faith, this person did this. And then some of my favorite examples in there, you have Noah. It says, By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By, by his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. God told him, said, Okay, Noah, something that you have never seen before is going to happen. Something that is going to seem impossible is about to happen. You need to act according to the truth that I'm telling you, not according to what you see. And it goes on to talk about Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign city. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with them of the same promise. 
And then moving on a little further. It says, By faith, Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she had considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and countless as the sand on the seashore. And then a little bit later on, it says, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. So you have these three examples here. When Abraham was told, just go to this land that I'm going to show you, a place that you've never seen before, that you don't even know where you're heading. But because you trust me, Abraham, you go. And he tells them later, you're going to have this child according to this promise, even though by the flesh it seems impossible. But it's going to happen. And then once that child arrives, by faith, he's able to follow through with this command when God says, go and sacrifice this son, which of course God doesn't allow him to do, but as a testament to his faith that he was willing that even to give his only begotten son, even to give the son of the promise, knowing that even though this seems impossible, God said the promise would be fulfilled through this child, so I will follow what God has said. And I love also in verse 22 there, by faith Joseph, when his end was near, is there there in, in Egypt, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instruction Instructions concerning the burial of his bones. I love that part of the story. I mean, there's a lot of cool things in the story of Joseph, but that's probably one of my favorites, is that at the end of his life, he tells his descendants, say, hey, I'm going to die here in this land, but we're going home one day. Take my bones with you. Go and bury them in the promised land. It's going to be so long before that's fulfilled. And he knows it. That's the thing. He knows it. He knows that even though by human standards, by everything that could be seen, he was going to be in Egypt. And these people were going to be stuck in Egypt for a good long time. But he he just decides, just trust me on this one. Take my bones with you because I know that you're going back. And so down in in verse 12, there's example after example if here. But then this idea of where our eyes are fixed. Verse uh, chapter 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I love that even all of these heroes of faith from the Old Testament, the Hebrew writer could say, even they had their eyes fixed on Jesus, who they had never seen. They didn't even know what he was going to look like when he came, but they knew that God was faithful to his promises. And so just as they could have their eyes fixed on the fulfillment of promise ahead of them, we can have our eyes fixed on the fulfillment of promise, both behind us and in front of us, so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. 
When our eyes are truly fixed on Jesus, we come to realize that there is nothing more real. There is nothing more true. That this is the foundation. This is firm ground on which we can build an understanding of the situation and the world that we find ourselves in. So what could happen if that's really how we lived? That no matter the circumstance, no matter what we saw, what was right in front of our faces, the truest thing was in the forefront of our minds and of our hearts. If our eyes were truly fixed on Jesus and we truly walked by faith in every way, what could happen if we said, you know, I'll take that chance knowing that God is with me? regardless of the result. I'll show love to that person, even though I don't know how they're going to respond. What if we said, you know, I'll answer that call of God, even though I don't really know where it might take me and where he might lead me. Through last week, I saw lots of things, um, Easter-related messages on, on Twitter especially, and there are a couple that I just had to write down. Um, Patrick Mead, uh, who many of you know, wrote, Live as if you really believed the tomb was empty. Fear is banished, and all things have become new. Let the world see what joy is. What if we didn't just profess our faith, but if we really le- lived as if we believed it? But then, sort of the other side of that spectrum, uh, Bob Goff, an author who some of you are familiar with, said, every time we believe the lie that we are who we used to be, we roll the stone back into place as if nothing happened. Those are the two sides of the spectrum right there. Do we live as if Jesus rose from the dead and everything has changed? Or do we live as if We are who we've always been. Everything is as it always has been, and what we see is all there is. And the impossible remains impossible. Do we live as if the stone was rolled back into place? Now, I want you to hear me on this. I don't want you to think that I'm talking about some sort of willful ignorance. Of not recognizing the downsides, the potential shortfalls and pitfalls and the troubles and the hurts that are out there. I don't think living and moving forward in faith requires us to ignore those things. I really do believe that faith... Oh, my remote would work here. (laughs) There we go. That faith does have open eyes. Faith is not foolish. A lot of people would tell you that it is. That faith means setting aside reason, setting aside reality, and living in your own little fantasy land, that everything's just going to be okay. That's not faith. That's delusion. It's different. Faith isn't foolish. Faith is simply faithful. See, faith isn't ignorant of the potential difficulties that may come our way. But faithful action isn't defined by those difficulties. See, our Lord, His his power, His will for us, those things weigh heavier in the balance to us than the difficulties, than the shortcomings, and the potential for downfall. See, if we fail, according to how the world would see it, if we fail while being faithful, well, we haven't really failed at all, have we? 
I'm very sure that God counts success not in the same way we do. We count success in achievement. God counts success in faithfulness. I can think of no better example of that, and I'd love to read the whole passage right now, but we don't really have time. But story there in Daniel of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. A very familiar story that if you grew up going to church, you've heard it probably most of your life since Sunday school. And I just, the thing that I love most about the story, the most powerful thing about that story, is not just that when Nebuchadnezzar has, has made this idol and has commanded that when this music plays, everyone is to bow down and worship this idol. And these three men, these three Jews, who know that that is wrong, that they will bow down and worship no one except for the Lord their God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when the time comes, when they've been caught, that they're not bowing down and worshiping. This is being brought to the attention of Nebuchadnezzar, and the penalty of this is death. The most powerful part of the story is that they say, you know what, Nebuchadnezzar, you can do to us whatever you will. But our God is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, we know that he's able. We trust him. We believe in him far more than you. We're concerned with his power far more than the power of your furnace that you want to throw us into. And so we know our God can save us, but even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down. They didn't go into this situation saying, you know what, there's no downside for us. There's no potential trouble coming our way because we're acting faithfully. They're saying, there's a lot of potential trouble coming our way. But we'll be faithful nonetheless. That despite the trouble, despite the hardship, despite this penalty of death that this king would issue to them, They'll move forward in faith with eyes open to the trouble, but knowing that their faithful action is far more important than giving in to the smaller truth of that immediate moment. In 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15, Paul says of the Corinthian church, For Christ's love compels us, Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. As he died for us, excuse me, therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for him and was raised again. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. And that since one died for all, we should no longer live for ourselves. Because this core truth of Christian faith was the core of his belief. And was the driver and the ultimate truth, the ultimate reality that underlaid everything that he did. Love compelled him. The love of Christ expressed through this truth compelled him to move forward. You see, this gets down to the root of the difference between faith and fear. See, when we're driven by the externals, when we're driven by the immediate situation that we find ourselves in, we can feel a lot of pressure to get it all right. We can feel the pressure, the fear, the anxiety of that immediate situation around us. But see, if we're living by faith, if we're walking forward in faith, 
That allows us to, and even compels us, to walk forward in love. See, I'm really bad about this myself. Wanting to be a good rule follower. Wanting to get everything right. But I know that just trying to be right all the time, just trying to get all the details under my control... Well, ultimately, that's living not under faith, not living by faith, but living by fear that if I get it wrong, everything's going to fall apart. And you know what? I'm not that important. (laughs) If I mess up, if I fail, the world is not going to crumble around me because it's not under my control. I am not sovereign. God is. If I'm living according to faith, It frees me and even compels me to live according to the love that He's shown me. I think something most of us need to do is to do a better job of putting faith and putting love in the driver's seat of our lives and making fear ride in the trunk. Because we can let fear control so much of what we do. We can let the reaction to what we see going on around us, controls so much of how we behave. And we can forget what the truth of our faith would compel us to do in love. So I guess if I could just ask you one question this morning, be what does Christ's love compel you to do today? Because I titled this lesson, This Day by Faith. Because really, that's all you've got to deal with today is today. How are you going to live this day? Are you going to live this day by faith? To go where He's called you to go, to do what He's called you to do, or are you going to let those other distractions take you in a different direction? Don't worry about tomorrow right now. Tomorrow will worry about itself. This day, how will you live? Will you live by faith? And the one who lived for you, who came to live for you and to die for you and to live again so that you could live again. Do you live according to the truth of the resurrection of Jesus? If you've been living according to anything else, it's time to lay that down. If you've been living according to any fear or anxiety or trouble that's coming your way, the loudest, the biggest, the most urgent, whatever it is in your life that has been distracting you from living according to that core of the faith and the truth of the Christian message. Living like Jesus really did rise from the dead. If there's anything that's been distracting you today, please lay it down. And if you need help doing that, that's why we're here together as a family. If you need the prayers of this family to help you lay those other burdens down and live by faith and not by sight. Or if you need to live by faith for the first time, if you need to express your faith in Jesus Christ by taking him on in baptism, if there's anything we can do this morning to help you live in that way, please come and let us know while we stand and while we sing.